0: Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Hi, I'm Tobias Carlisle. This is the Acquirers Podcast. My special guest today is Tim Travis of TNT Capital Management. When I think about the things that are going on in this market, the things that stand out are value, financials, and options, and there's no better person to speak about them. He'll be coming up right after this.
1: Tobias Carlisle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's
0: Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely
1: their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit Acquire'sFunds.com.
0: When I think about the the signature of this market at the moment, I think it's kind of like maybe a little value resurgence, uh, seeing some life in the financials, and lots of option activity. And when I think of those three things, the first person I think of is you. So I'm just kind of interested to get your take, what you see going on in the market right now.
1: Well, thanks. I mean, to me, it's it's peak euphoria. Uh, you know, the biggest the biggest reminder uh, to me, or the the biggest commonality is how it was in 2000, uh, in the late 1990s. I mean, we were both pretty young back then, and probably weren't quite as active in the markets. But, but back then, everyone, you know, thought they were market geniuses, and and everyone seemed to be doing pretty well, and you'd only hear about the wins, and and that's kind of how it seems to me. I mean, I mean, people that showed no interest in the market just, you know, a year ago are now all on the AMC train or they're, they're you know, very big into crypto. Uh, and so I, I think that, you know, that should be a warning that, that there's immense amounts of euphoria and speculation going on. And so you just want to keep that in the back of mind, in back of your mind to make sure that you're making, you know, prudent financial and investment decisions. And so that's kind of where we are. We're, we're really focusing on, okay, individual scenarios, individual securities. How can we structure our positions to best capitalize on that from a risk-adjusted return standpoint? Uh, and, uh, you know, definitely I think value still has a big disconnect between, between growth, but there's some interesting growth names as well. Well, let's talk a little bit about
0: structuring because you're a kind of an options expert so, and, I, and you're a value guy. And so what, you're one of the few guys who marries those two really nicely together. So let's just talk for folks who haven't heard you before. Can you describe your strategy?
1: Sure. So, so definitely we start first and foremost with uh, you know, identifying deeply undervalued securities, whether that's equity, whether it's fixed income, and then what we do is we look, you know, okay, what's what's the best way to play it? I mean, if we think this stock's likely to double within the next two or three years, then certainly just owning the stock outright or, or I mean, theoretically buying call options uh, would be the most sensible uh, strategy. Uh, but perhaps, you know, like now we're, we're a little concerned with the overall market. Valuations are high. You know, you've got the inflationary backdrop. So what we'll also do is we'll look, okay, well, what's the debt trading at? You know, most of that is is yielding very paltry returns right now. So, so then we might look, okay, well, what about selling a put? Uh, selling a put with the willingness to own the stock at a cheaper price. And depending on kind of the returns you can get on those puts and how far away from the current market price, that might be a better risk-adjusted return particularly because we're not a hedge fund. Uh, we, we are a registered investment advisory. So we're investing for everyday, everyday people and making sure that uh, you know we're prudently doing it. Uh, so that could be a, a good risk-adjusted return, especially in a market like this.
0: Let's just talk a little bit about the market. So I see it as being very expensive too. And when I, I saw this, uh, this statistic yesterday that the, the spread between the high yield Uh, junk bonds and investment grade was as tight as it has been since 2007 so the first thing i thought was well i'm going to go and see if i can find some way to play that in the options on like one of the junk bond etfs or something like that and i was kind of struck by how much volatility how much vol there was in all of those positions it was so expensive to get any of that kind of hedging on that it has passed by and that was one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you because i thought if there's anybody who can take advantage of some of that vol it'll be you. So is that, is that, are you seeing that in your individual positions?
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, we've had a, a great start to the year, you know, values had held up really well. We're pretty big in financials. We were decently exposed to energy, which obviously both those hurt us last year, but it's helped us really, you know, since early uh, November. Um, and, uh, and so and so right now we're looking at it and we see the market is being pretty inflated. And, and I think there's some major concerns coming up, you know, what's the inflation data going to look like, you know, what's, what's that mean for interest rates. And then also you've got the hang, hangover on spending. I mean, right now we're going to have an amazing summer, hopefully, and you're going to see travel numbers that are insane and everything's booked and, and prices are sky high. But, you know, what does that look like when the stimulus uh, tap uh, is empty? And, and so I think that, you know, when you start looking towards the end of the year and you go into next year's earnings guidance, uh, that, that could be a little, a little iffy for some of these companies. So, so we're definitely, you know, pretty conservatively structured. And, uh, you know, like I'll give you, an, I'll give you an example. So like one of our, one of our investments uh, for the last few years has been Cleveland Cliffs. Uh, so iron ore miner, uh, and, and they've got an amazing CEO. The guy is, is passionate. Uh, he's a little controversial because he's, he's very blunt, which is hard nowadays, of course. And uh, what they did was they, they bought uh, AK Steel uh, you know, at pretty distressed levels. And then they bought the US operations of ArcelorMittal. So they, they went totally vertically integrated. And I mean, goodness gracious, the, the timing could not have been better. So they took on a lot of debt, uh, but but they did this. They also built uh, an HBI plant, uh, which which they they financed themselves. They didn't do any partners, and now prices are sky high, astronomical. So they're they're projecting to do, uh, I believe it's five billion of of EBITDA this year, and I think it might actually end up being higher than that. And you know the stock's got an enterprise value just over seventeen billion dollars. So I mean we're not, we're not stupid. You know, this is going to be close to peak margins this next year or two. Uh, You know, they're, they're a huge supplier to the auto mark, auto market. So steel for the auto industry, that's gangbusters. Uh, So, so the stock here, I mean, it trades at a low multiple. You could easily make the case to buy it. I could see it pulling up on your screens, you know, next year as, as the, as the earnings come through. Um, But what we're doing is we're selling puts. So, I mean, just a month ago, for instance, with the stock trading at like 1950, we were able to sell $10 puts uh, expiring in January of next year for about 71 cents, uh, so 71 bucks per contract. And you know, you look at that; that's you know just over half a year. You know, you're locking in you know like like 9% 9% annualized returns. Uh, 10% annualized returns roughly. And you're locking that in almost requiring a 50% drop in an already undervalued stock. And you compare that to junk bonds, you know, what 3.8%, you know, and, and I mean, even the junkiest of junk is, is barely over that. I mean, the stuff that's likely to default. So for me, you know, that's a, that's an attractive risk adjusted return. I'm happy to own the stock. I've owned it there. Uh, And, You know, for for us, like I'll take that any day of the week. Let's
0: just walk through how you come to those numbers. So you get it's a ten dollar strike on the puts and it's seventy one cents, then you think about that as like ten dollars minus seventy one cents and nine dollars twenty-nine. Yep. And then you got the seventy one cents on the nine dollars twenty nine. That's how you get to uh, almost like a nine percent
1: yeah kind of yield. And then when you annualize that, you know, a little bit over half a year. Uh, from this was about a month ago when this pricing existed. Uh, so you annualize that, and you're you're probably in double digits there. And I mean, you you really require a 50% drop in the stock just to get to break even. And I mean, what I like about that company specifically is I know the CEO as far as I, I understand how he operates. Uh, so his focus is, I'm gonna he says he wants to be debt free you know, whether that happens or not, but they're gonna use this enormous windfall of EBITDA to to dramatically reduce the debt. And so you've got these acquisitions, they're gonna have a phenomenal balance sheet, you're gonna see those credit ratings keep popping up. Uh, And and so that's gonna de-risk the company a lot. And then if you get in at that lower price, uh, well, that's fine, you know, that's fine. We know it's a cyclical industry, so earnings are gonna fluctuate, but they're going to earn a ton of money this year, and I think next year's probably going to be strong too. Uh, you know, there's there still is a lot of demand, particularly if we see some more infrastructure spending. So, for fairly conservative investors like like many of my clients are, that's just that's an attractive risk adjusted return for me. I'd rather do that than buy bonds and take the interest rate risk, uh, spread widening risk, and, and then ultimately default risk on some of the more speculative stuff.
0: So some of the, this sort of dovetails with a conversation on inflation. So when you look at something like steel, which is a cyclical and doing very well, um, driven perhaps by there's some additional demand for cars, there seems to be something like that going on, right? So um, you've got this uh, potentially sort of shorter term bump perhaps from the stimulus and COVID, but how do you see that playing out over a longer term? So I guess I'm asking, is it transitory or is it here to stay?
1: Well, I mean, you tell me, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the answer to it. I mean, to me, I think, I think it feels like real inflation. And if you do study history, which I know you do uh, inflation was, was such a dominant aspect of society, you know, in the seventies. I mean, it really was, it was, it was transformational. And, and those that were around for it, you know have, have deeply ingrained memories of it. Uh, you know, getting mortgages at the, uh, you know 11, 12%, uh, you know, rate rate, which is just insane now. I mean, think of what that would do. And so, you know, you have these massively inflationary uh, factors, uh, the money printing. I mean, look, trip, we're going to Hawaii in September and oh my gosh, the, the rental car prices, it's $200 a day for a crappy style car, you know? And of course the hotels and the flights are now ramping up again. So to me, it feels like it's going to be real, but then you do have some, I feel like there is some deflationary aspects going on. You're, you're likely going to see a tax hike. Um, You know, I, I, I think that, I'm just, I'm just not super optimistic on the overall economy long term. Uh, you're going to have a, a big hangover, like we kind of mentioned, uh, with the stimulus where you know, that's going to wear off and people are going to kind of uh, have dug into their savings, are, are now maybe going to start using a little bit more leverage. They might get a little more uh, tight-fisted. So, so I think that that's the argument against it. But to me, I'd put the odds. I'm much more worried that inflation will appear. So I I think betting on the reflation play is smarter. And the reality is, is we've been in a low interest rate environment. So things like the banks, look, they're gonna be fine even if interest rates stay low. They're still gonna, I mean, they're not gonna get a drastic re-rating higher in multiples, but uh, they're not gonna get crushed either. I mean, rates have been low, you know, for the last decade.
0: So there's some suggestion that inflation is good for value. Um, I don't know how inflation impacts the banks. It probably tends to hurt them. But do you have any view on value and and the banks?
1: Well, I think inflation uh, in general, you know, if if it's if it's not like a you know hyperinflation or 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 even a super severe. I mean, if you start seeing rates creep up and and you get to you know three or four percent on the ten year. I think that'd be really a sweet spot for a lot of the banks and also the insurance companies. Uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna get way more yield. You're gonna you're gonna see returns on equity lift up pretty significantly, uh, especially because they've had to adopt their operating uh, you know costs to this environment. So there'd be some some real operating leverage that they could pull from that. Uh, you know if if it if it goes on a lot further, of course it could be bad but but i think it's i i think i'd rather have an inflationary environment for them particularly i think of of all the asset classes i think energy and and commodities probably does best, and financials are are pretty pretty strong in that area as well so
0: You've been a long-term follower of Assured Guarantee, tickers AGO. Can you give us an update on, on what has happened there and perhaps start with uh, just a, an overview of the thesis yeah. in AGO?
1: Yeah. So what it is, is they're a municipal bond insurance company. Uh, they're really the only survivor uh, from the the previous uh, bubble uh, back in the financial crisis when, when almost all of them went bust. And... Uh, they're the largest. There's one other smaller competitor that, that's gone on. But, but so they got through uh, the financial crisis unscathed. They, they didn't underwrite uh, the, uh, the CDO squared or any of that garbage. And then they ended up getting reimbursed uh, from a lot of the, the mortgage and structured finance losses that they did have because of uh, fraudulent rep and warranties from the banks. So the banks had to pay them multi billion dollar settlements. So they've they've they're strong underwriters, strong balance sheet. They're still double A rated, and then they got hit as things are really starting to pick up. They got hit with Puerto Rico about five years ago, and and really the hysteria started about six years ago, and so that that bankruptcy-like situation has been a nightmare. It's taken absolutely forever. Uh, the 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 oversight board that was appointed to it has has been abysmal. They've spent over a billion dollars in legal and consulting costs, but we're finally to the end line. And and by the way, between that, they got hit by two hurricanes, including Hurricane Maria, which set things back. And then you have COVID, which, which basically they lost a year from. But anyways, to make a long story short, we're at the end. So they've come to agreements with all of their exposures where they've actually taken losses on. There's about two or three credits where they haven't taken any losses on, and, and those will just continue. Um, but but so they've re, they've they've got resolutions. Now that they have to be approved in Title Three court still. But I honestly don't see a huge problem there. I am very confident it'll happen. They're also getting a huge amount of stimulus money Puerto Rico uh, from from uh, the the recent legislation that's passed. So uh, the situation looks great, and and on the last quarter, uh, management flagged that they're fully reserved. So the bears, like David Einhorn, uh, you know, they they said that they're going to have to add billions in reserves for Puerto Rico, and and the math never added up. But it's easy to uh, install fear when you're dealing with like a bond guarantee company because. You know, you almost always hear about the downside. You don't really hear about the upside when almost all the credits are performing, right? Uh, so, so that that situation did not happen. They're fully reserved, and they're likely overly capitalized now, maybe up to about a billion dollars. So, I mean, this is a you know three and a half billion market care, market cap company, roughly. And uh, and so you could see a massive buyback. They've been buying back about 400 to 500 million in stock each year, and the stock's been so perennially undervalued that it's en- enormously accretive. So you've got this strong company, Puerto Rico. The biggest issues resolved. Um, they're going to buy back a ton of stock. It trades, you know, at like 47, 48 dollars. It's got a book value of 85. It's got an adjusted book value that'll cross 120. Uh, this year and and then you've got you know likely all this excess capital freed up because Puerto Rico's resolved and then you look at municipalities I mean this is why the situation so different last year Toby I was terrified of municipal finances just because you don't know the government's going to come in like they did you don't know that they're going to basically bail out all the municipalities like they did and you don't know that revenues are going to hold up a lot better than what was anticipated but I mean, look what happened revenues did hold up better than anticipated. And then you got, you know, the mother of all stimulus packages for these, you know, municipalities, whether you agree on it or not, whatever it's it happened. And, and so now I mean even, you know, formerly troubled credits like Illinois are far less worrisome than they were before. Uh, So one more thing I'll mention is so they're below investment grade credits in their insured portfolio. Obviously, those are the ones you're keeping an eye out. They're already the lowest in their history, uh, at least that I'm aware of. So at least 16 years, uh, I'd say 16, 17 years of history. Now, over half of that is related to Puerto Rico. And that's basically resolved one pending approval in Title III court. So you're going to have that cut in half already from the lowest level ever. And what's weird is the market just hasn't really picked up on it yet. Uh, the stocks moved for sure. You know, it's, it's having a really nice year, but, but it's, I don't, I, I think it's just, I maybe they're doubting it or maybe not many people are following the name. And so I think that one is, is one of the opportunities that has a chance to really run, you know, as we go on in this year and going into next year
0: when you look at something like AGO, how do you play it is that a, an options do you do you sell options to get in and uh, or, or is that just in the equity
1: you have so much upside i mean it makes sense to own the equity um you know I mean I mean when we're like dollar cost averaging into things so I, I love you know staggering options and maybe selling some shorter term ones if i'm more if I already own the stock maybe all right if it trades down, to 42 in the next sixty days. I'm happy to own some more stock there. Uh, you know, and and you could always argue against or for that stuff, but but I'm a big buyer. I'm sure you are too. I mean, I love dollar cost averaging. I always, you know, am willing to buy the stocks that I own as they drop in price, as long as nothing's fundamentally changed on it. So, but but mostly you want to own equity. That's one of those kind of I think the upside, when we get the big upside in our portfolio, it'll come from a stock like that. You know, and then you have some of the ancillary names like the Cleveland Cliffs position I told you about. Well, that's kind of like a fixed income surrogate. It's gonna behave differently. I'm not gonna say it's the same as a bond, but that's how we look at it as kind of like a, a, a surrogate, a, a refined strategy to, um, you know, generate income with a favorable risk adjusted return
0: so we've talked about iron and we've talked about a municipal reinsurer let's take a complete left turn and do at and t
1: sure so so at and t i mean is a stock everyone loves to hate and i understand why um you know i mean they it's just like ge in some ways where they made ridiculous acquisitions uh you know and and they paid way too much the bidding war for time warner was sickening to watch and, uh, and, you know, so these mistakes have been made. And I understand why people are, are hesitant on the stock. But I looked at that Discovery deal as, as truly transformational. And it, it also tells me that the CEO finally kind of gets it. So, you know, they're getting a, a, a reasonable value uh, for, for the Time Warner assets. And they're combining with Discovery, which I think that they're very complementary products. Uh, I, I, mean, I mean, to me, I, 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 would much rather have, you know, Time Warner plus discovery than, than Netflix or Amazon prime video. Uh, I think it's a, extremely competitive. You have kind of a different balance too, between, you know, the, the dramas, the sitcoms, the, you know, and, and then also the, the kind of, uh, home improvement type stuff or the reality TV that's on discovery. So I think it's a good mix. And then don't forget, AT&T is going to own seventy-one percent of that. So you've got, you know, John Malone, Linked, Discovery. Uh, my only critique on on Discovery is the the executive pay is out of control. Uh, but but you have them. They they know how to use free cash flow. They know how to use the capital structure. That's going to be a leveraged bet, and I think they're going to win. I think they'll be a winner. And then you've got the communications business, which is fantastic. And AT&T is going to be able to remove the debt problem. Uh, you know, they've already been doing a good job paying off debt, but now, I mean, they're going to dramatically reduce debt. They're going to be able to invest, just focus on having that be a lean operation. And and then you got the stock. I mean, it's trading at, you know, less than 10 times forward earnings. It's got a 7.24% dividend roughly. And, and I mean, that's going to get cut. OK, so so you have a huge amount of sellers that are just oh they're cutting the dividend. I'm out, you know, and I understand that people that own it only for the dividend. We're total return investors. Um, so so, you know, that dividend maybe drops to four and a half, five percent, just depending on the share price. Uh, we're still comfortable with that. That beats bonds. And then I think you have a lot of upside. So we'll, we'll happily hold the, the the Time Warner discovery uh shares we get and then we'll we'll happily hold the ATT. Uh so so that's I think a a good a good investment with not too much risk.
0: And uh when you're looking at something like that, is that just a straight equity play or do you do you structure something like well, that too? Well
1: that's when it's fun honestly. I mean so so we do it all. You know we own the stock, we'll sell calls. Um, there's not a lot of value in calls. I mean if you're immensely bullish on ATT buying calls is like free, you know, it's really, really cheap. Uh, I think, I think Mike mentioned that on, on one of your podcasts, not long ago, I think he looked at it and and he's right. I mean, so, but, but you could do some things with like longer dated calls, um, to, to generate premium and then also sell puts behind it. So, I mean, I mean, uh, you can use the the whole assortment of strategies on that one.
0: Uh, and, and another, uh, complete left turn, uh, Alibaba.
1: Yeah, I mean, so so that's kind of growth at a reasonable price, you know, and, and you know, obviously the, the overhang is China and, and trust me, I, I, I'm i not a big fan of investing in Chinese stocks. I, I don't like what's going on there. I, I'm worried about the Taiwan situation. Uh, I don't like what happened at that lab. <laughs> so I have a lot of concerns about that. But you know, it's, it's an investment and, and it does trade cheaply. I mean, it's a high teens multiple uh, on forward earnings. And I mean, they're, they're growing robustly. They've got all the assets uh, you know, they've got good competition with JD and with Tencent, cent. Uh, but, but I think, I think they're poised to win and I think they've resolved the the worst part of the, the regulatory environment. So it's not something I'm going to bet huge in um, but, I think it's a, a good play for ro- growth at a reasonable price. Kind of like the fangs were, you know, last year or you know when they got a little bit cheap. They were good growth at a reasonable price. And I think I think if you're going to buy a Baidu or a Alibaba, uh, you know, now probably is not a bad time to to get get in.
0: And again, in something like that, equity or you, you try to structure something like that.
1: Equity and then selling puts. So, so I mean, I like the upside. So that's one of those where if it hits, you know, I'm willing to hold for a long time. You know, let it run because I mean, it's such a, a nice growth play. Um, but, but yeah, there's good premium in the equity. Uh, but, but you want to structure that from a position size standpoint with what you're comfortable losing, um, because there is a lot of risk with the regulatory environment. And then also what happened? I mean, like with China Mobile when they got delisted. You know, we own that. We own some of that, and and you know, we had to end up selling at a way discounted price than it should have been. I mean, that's a very valuable company, of course, and the valuation was fantastic. So you never know about those type of things. But also, I mean, that stuff can happen in the U.S. too. I mean, the recent Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac decision in the Supreme Court, to me, was an abomination. So it's not like you can't get get those types of issues that that change the game for you here either.
0: Uh, and, and probably right back in your wheelhouse with Credit Suisse.
1: Yeah. So they, I mean, financials, uh, you know, they got, we were not involved with Credit Suisse until they, you know, got involved with the, uh, Archegos blow up and then the, the green sill, uh, one, I believe that's how you pronounce it. And so, you know, the stock dropped materially and what I've liked about Credit Suisse for a while is their wealth management business. So, You know, recurring revenue, Uh, and that's been their focus for for quite some time, and they're very good at it. I mean, just like UBS, and you look at UBS, they trade at a very high multiple. UBS kind of downsized their investment bank where earnings are more volatile. Credit Suisse was really doing the same thing, but obviously they had a, a. poor risk management and some people were being way too aggressive and management's definitely, definitely, you know, to blame there as well. You know, they got hit. They barely took a loss as far as the total company because the other businesses were operating so well uh, and hitting on all cylinders. So it's not like it really impaired their capital or anything. So as we emerge out of this, okay, sure. You're going to have some employees leave, that are gonna be bummed because their bonuses are gonna be down, but you're still gonna have that wealth management business. You're still gonna have a very competitive investment bank. And now the difference is we're getting it at, you know, 60% of tangible book value uh, in a great investment banking environment, a great wealth management environment. I just don't see us losing on a long-term basis on that. It's not not a, a structurally impaired company like perhaps uh, Deutsche Bank was that like Deutsche Bank after the financial crisis where they actually did well, they came out of that structurally impaired because they were just all in on, on fixed income trading. And that business didn't return really until last year uh, on all cylinders. So, so now they're doing a little bit better again, but this is like, they, you know, they're in the right businesses, the right markets. They just had some, some, you know, one-off events that are really bad, but I think that they're correctable. You
0: run a very uh, eclectic portfolio across lots of different industries and, you know, across different uh, security types. How do you um, find these opportunities? What's your sort of search process?
1: Well, I, I think I'm different than most investment advisors in that I'm reading all day. So I don't, I don't golf. You know, I don't. I don't do any marketing. Uh, I'm not. You know, I'm not prospecting like that. So the way that we get clients is is by putting out research, um, and putting out content, and and so I think you know, just like you, Toby, I mean, that's one reason why I think we've hit it off a long time ago is that you and I are both like students of history. We read, so you develop that collection of businesses and industries that you understand, and you're constantly growing that. And you have to know what your limits are and, and, and what your strengths are and, and work within those confines. So it's really just that. It's, it's just it's di- time. I mean, this will be our 10th year in operation at TNT Capital Management and then 20, almost 20 years in the, in the industry for me. So it, it's just time and focus, really.
0: And then, when you find um, these opportunities, what's your validation process? How are you proving it up? Because I know that you, I know you've spoken to AGO's management, Dom Federico. You know them pretty well; have known them for a long time. So, is that is that an unusual sort of step?
1: Yes, yes. I, I do like involve, getting involved with management as far as just getting a feel for them. And and sometimes, I mean, look, they're not always going to talk to you depending on your size or whatever. And it just depends on who they are. Honestly, I feel like the companies that I've done better in the past, management has at least been willing to, you know, have a phone call and just get to know each other and just to get a feel for, for you know, how they operate as managers and companies I've had less success with are extremely resistant and, and will only talk to the Black Rocks of the world. So that's part of it. I, I like to at least study their history, even if I can't talk to them, um, really see what they did in the past uh, and, and you know how they acted. Capital allocation is a big deal. So if I understand the capital allocation strategy, I feel good. Um, you know, bad acquisitions are kind of like my pet peeve uh, it's just, it blows up so much, so much shareholder value, uh, you know, like we saw with AT&T, uh, and uh, we saw with GE in the past, and so many other companies, and we'll keep seeing that, so.
0: Does anybody allocate capital better than AGO?
1: They're pretty good at it. I mean, I mean, I like it, but, but truthfully, they don't really have that many great opportunities, because... The the uh, you know the the bond insurance business has has slowed down uh, since the financial crisis. It's starting to pick back up, but that's one that's rate sensitive. So if you get higher rates, you're going to see geometric growth in underwriting premium, and then it makes more sense to to uh, keep a little more capital. But but because the the portfolio has been amortizing, they have excess capital. You have an undervalued price, and he's smart enough to take advantage of it. And what I like about him. Is if you remember, Dom, uh, if you remember uh, last year, so many CEOs, like during the the peak of the panic, they were like, "Okay, we're going to stop buying back stock." And I get it; it's it's you know there's some politics involved, but but if you really believe your company is fully reserved and in strong financial condition and can weather the storm, and now your stock is trading 50 percent lower, buy back all you can. And I mean, I mean, they did. I mean, I mean, the stock dropped a lot, like, like almost all financials, and it really got crushed. And they bought back hand over fist. And it created enormous, you know, shareholder value. And now they're in a great position.
0: When you're, uh, we were speaking a little bit before about rebalancing. So you definitely buy, uh, as something's going against you a little bit, to yeah. take advantage of those lower prices but when you're when you think about constructing the portfolio what do you ha, how do you think about sizing positions
1: yeah i mean so we're we're always going to allocate the most to our best ideas so there's not like a five percent rule where you're gonna have 20 positions at five percent or anything like that we'll definitely do the the biggest positions uh on our our best ideas uh and then you know we'll we'll build into you know one's other other positions with options so it's like okay well if cleveland cliffs goes lower it might go from a you know two percent position to a five percent position you know with getting exercised on options but that's at our price you know so it's just basically a synthetic way of 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 dollar cost averaging on the shares so so uh it's structured like that
0: and how do you think about sizing the options positions you're always thinking as a uh, the nominal position is capped at some uh you know two or five percent sort of holding
1: I'd, i'd say we're fairly agnostic i mean i don't really care if we're using options in the way that we use them uh keep in mind we're not buying options uh not that there's anything wrong with that but but we i think that the odds are more in your favor with selling options so we're pretty agnostic. We just want the best risk adjusted return. But in this market environment, I'm not I'm not optimistic on the next 3 to 5 years on equities at all. You know, I'm actually I'm I'm very bearish, I'd say. Not not John Hussman bearish, but but I'm bearish. And normally I'm, I'm very optimistic. Uh, and so so what I want to do is I want to take okay, I've got a few bets that I think the odds are stacked in my favor where there's a lot of upside. Like you could get a double on an AGO easily or 50% in a year. Like that's very possible, you know, from current levels. And it would still be undervalued, Um, uh, you know, but then, but then with the rest of the market, I I'm, you know, look, if you tell me I could get 7% a year over the next three, three years, like I would probably be comfortable with that. Like I I'd be comfortable with that, with where the valuations are. And one thing I was thinking before our, our call was, uh, you know, I was looking at 2000 because, you know, it's a great analogy for for the president. I mean, the 10-year treasury was about 6.5%. And imagine that. You're a money manager, too. You know, I mean, I mean, imagine 6.5% with, you know, no credit risk versus, you know, where we're at with multiples here. You know, it's it's an interesting conversation to have.
0: And that's 6.5%. That's a nice hedge too, because if you get some sort of market volatility, it's likely that there's a flight to that, and so you get some rally in the uh, in your holdings. Whereas it's, uh, the-
1: exactly, exactly, it's a huge, it's a huge hedge, and and also, I mean, yeah, it's it's stunning to think about that, and I mean that's why this is the everything bubble. Real estate, uh, it's hard to find asset classes that aren't in in a bubble right now.
0: Yeah, I watched the ten year pretty closely because I think it's a reasonable proxy for not not the performance of value, but as the as the 10 year seems to creep up, value seems to do a little bit better. And vice versa, as the 10 year fades, value seems to do a little bit worse. And so I've watched it over the last, you know, it got crushed through March 30, uh, March 2020. So last year, and then at the start of this year, it started rallying, and that seemed to coincide with with value doing better. And then over the last sort of couple of months, we've seen it soften up a fair bit. Yeah. I, I have no idea what drives it, but it is one of the things that uh, that I watch reasonably closely. I, I think that there's some cap, though. There's some point at which um, that you know the the Federal Reserve can't let it float up too much because it then it, it impacts the uh, the borrowing of the federal government. Do you, yeah. do you have any view on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I would definitely agree, I, I think. But that's why inflation's the most significant thing, uh, for sure. So, uh, it, you know, the Fed can, you know, keep buying bonds. I mean, I was thinking, OK, Kyle, I don't know if you saw it in the, this morning, but Kyle Bass brought up China and, and the likely aggressiveness that they're going to show for Taiwan over the next few years. I and mean, that's a huge situation uh, that, that is going to involve, I mean, that's a major risk that's out there. And so let's say China stops buying us treasuries for some reason, maybe they can do that. Maybe they can't, it doesn't matter, but the fed can keep printing money and and buying treasuries, of course, but what if you have inflation? So, I mean, if you have inflation that just keeps picking up and inflation, inflation expectations pick up, well, then those longer dated bonds are, are going to start yielding a lot more you know, the market's gonna move those. And so it's it's inflation that will ultimately drive the Fed long-term. And so that's why by far and away, that's the most important thing to watch. And and just like you said, the 10-year treasury has been driving value and growth. And, you know, I mean, imagine what a, a 4% 10-year treasury was normal, you know, a decade ago. You know, anything close to that level now What type of, what happens to the multiples of some of these glamour stocks? You know, I I read an article today. uh, Someone was saying that, that 13 times sales is cheap, you know? And of course, I'm sure you remember the, the Sun Microsystems uh, CEO letter where he was talking about what, what expectations are implied with 10 times sales. So now 13 times sales are cheap for, for a great company like a PayPal.
0: Yeah, I got called a boomer for pointing out that Sun Microsystems uh, that that quote where he said it's like a, a ten times sales you get, and he had to, that doesn't account for any of the the costs of running the yeah. business, which yeah. just seems crazy. But now that ten times sales for that's that's reasonably cheap for a, for a growth stock.
1: It really is. I mean, it's it's night and day difference. And I mean, these are great businesses. I mean, that's that's one difference, and everyone will flag it. I mean, I mean Amazon. Honestly, I don't think. I don't look at like Amazon as okay. Well, this is a massive bubble. Uh, I don't I don't look at Apple that way, or, or most of them. I mean, Facebook was cheap. You know, it's getting a little more expensive lately. Uh, but I think you know some of those other ones, and you know, you look at kind of the tricks that they do with the accounting and the stock issuance. You know, there's a lot of signs of, of speculation, and obviously, you can see that in crypto and all that too.
0: Yeah, I think that the funnily enough, those big tech, those older big tech like Facebook, Apple, Google, have all been re- they're expensive, but they're reasonable for what yeah. they are. They're really yeah. great businesses. If there's some other, there's the other stuff. I think is the more uh, more egregious valuations where they're all kind of priced as if they are going to be an Amazon and the math just doesn't check out when you look at where they have to get to over you know the next 10 or 20 years to justify those valuations it's just that they have to get too big it's not possible
1: no i'd I'd agree and that's why something as boring as an at&t you know you're getting you're getting a really nice dividend you've got upside you've got this you know the owner the shareholders own 71 percent of the combined Discovery, uh, Time Warner, which is going to be a very formidable uh, streamer, you know. So something like that to to someone like me is is sensible. I just I don't want to get I don't want to get blown up by uh, by that chaos because I mean think about it. All you had to do was buy Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and they all react quite a bit to the interest rates. Uh, you know, if if you start seeing selling pressure on those, whether it's warranted or not warranted. I mean you really could see a cascade. Uh, and of course those those other names will follow the more overvalued ones. So I, I think that there's risk there.
0: Given the uh, the backdrop of that overvaluation and there not being a lot of great opportunities in anything that's uh, not a traditional not a traditional hedge but like the the 10 year or something like that, yeah. do you you and I know that you don't like buying options. so how how do you do you carry cash? What do you do in that sort of scenario?
1: I mean I carry cash and I also think about what I would do. So okay, like what what do I do when the market crashes? I I buy stock. So when I'm selling a put at you know such a massive discount to the current price, you're gonna get jacked on volatility. So like that that put that we sold for 71 cents uh you know a month ago or whatever. That, that could go to, you know, that could double in price. It could triple in price, theoretically, you know, if, if the stock tanks with the overall market and you see volatility go up. But what matters to me is, look, the decision I made was I'm willing to buy Cliffs at $10. You know, that's fine. It's, I valued the company. I, I think they'd have a lot of upside from there. The balance sheet's going to be good. So so that's it. So all I do is I, I you have to weather the volatility storm. And this is something where if you're managing other people's money, you have to educate your clients on this. Cause that, that is, you know, that is the, the, the hard part you're taking volatility hits, you know, you're not benefiting like you are buying options and, and doing that. But once you educate them and kind of, you know, show, okay, look, once this option expires, volatility goes to zero time, goes to zero. The only thing that matters is where the stock price at. And then I definitely keep cash too. I mean, I mean, you don't want to be a hundred percent invested i think in this market i think you're going to have better buying opportunities
0: do you find a lot of people who are coming to you right now with uh with a pool of cash and saying help me get invested so what, what do you do with someone like that
1: well the, the options are a great way uh and, and just focusing on valuations i mean there's definitely names that we like like an ago so that's a great way because it's just you know you're not going a hundred percent in at the market at these levels Um, we've got, we've got some people that, that, you know, did really well last year. And then, uh, they, they, you know, like uh, people that are coming to us now, they did really well with like the arc type stuff. And then they got burnt pretty bad, uh, when that stuff, uh, started trailing, uh, you know, in the first quarter. And I think they see that, okay, well, growth has had a great run values, you know, still really undervalued. It's it, we're just in the early innings of what could potentially be a big run. And so I think that there are some people that are realizing that. And I think that there could be a lot of momentum towards value. Uh, if, if that tenure continues to creep, creep higher.
0: Yeah. Any view on what that's going to do?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think it goes higher. I really do. I, I think barring you know i mean i mean it's it's always alarming honestly because you have like all the fears about the variants and stuff like that uh which which i definitely i i don't think that there's reason to be very fearful of it um so you don't know what what kind of the government's gonna do uh but i do think that i do think that you're gonna see inflation people want to live people want to travel people are spending a lot of money on their houses everything's expensive I don't see these restaurants and things like that. They're not going to be able to pull back prices. They're not going to pull back, or or you know all these all these uh, higher salaries that people are having to pay. You know, they're not, people aren't going to accept pay cuts uh, at those companies. So I think inflation will last. Would be my gut.
0: I saw a tweet from Jim Chanos yesterday where he pointed out that the yield on the high yield. Uh, index is now below inflation, which is kind of an extraordinary uh, yes. event to see in this market. So I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't see how it stays where it is. But I'm, I've been sort of shocked that it's backed off from what is a, historically a very low level. I think it might have got to 1.7 or something like that. Which, if you yeah. run the, if you run that chart back as far as you can, there's nothing anywhere as cheap, as low as that other than sort of the last 12 months. And yeah. so I've been sort of shocked that it's run backwards, particularly given what inflation is doing. But I guess that's the question then is, is it transitory? Is it, is it here to stay? And I guess there's this short-term view over the last few months that it's transitory.
1: Yeah. I mean, the Fed's doing a good sales job on it, at least. And, and I mean, they're, they're still buying back so much. I mean, imagine if they're not buying back debt. You know, what happens with that 10-year? I mean, it is. It's a completely manipulated market and they've gotten away with it until inflation. So if inflation, inflation will be the biggest determinant over the next 10 years on what's successful from an investment perspective. Well, I mean, bonds, imagine inflate bonds with inflation and there's trillions of dollars allocated to bonds even at negative yields. Uh, so it's hard to imagine the, the carnage that would emerge from that. So it's, you know, think about it when we're structuring our portfolios.
0: Uh, Tim, it's a fascinating discussion. Um, we're coming up on time. If folks want to get in contact with you, what's the best way of doing that?
1: Sure. Just uh, our website, ttvalueinvesting.com and all our contact infos on there. Uh, and we also have a, a blog that's on there uh, that, that they can follow as well. So that's usually the best way.
0: I'll link that up in the show notes. Um, cool. Tim Travis, thank you for your time.
1: Thanks, Toby. Appreciate it, man.